Well, it is, uh, it is so great uh, to be with all of you this morning. Um, like they said, my name is Steve Dalwig, and uh, I am Director of Community Life and Family Ministries at Chapelgate Church, um, and uh, had the privilege of working with Patrick for a number of years uh, at Chapelgate, and uh, as a church, um, we've been praying for City Church um, from its very inception, and it is just such a blessing to be able to be here with you guys uh, this morning and to uh, bring God's Word. Um, and so with that, let me read our passage this morning. It, uh, this morning's passage comes from John chapter 6, uh, verses 25 through 35. When they found him on the other side of the sea, this is Jesus, uh, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. And so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word this morning through the work of your Holy Spirit. Um, Lord, uh, I pray that you would just bring your message forward, even in spite of the weaknesses of the one who brings it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, when I was in high school, uh, one of the, I always, my tendency through high school was to try to find the easiest classes I could take. And one of the classes that was one of the easier ones to take was an art appreciation class. And uh, one of the things we looked forward to in the art appreciation class was a field trip to the Smithsonian to go to the art gallery. And uh, our teacher knew we were not a highly motivated class. And so she decided that she would put together a huge scavenger hunt. Um, and, uh, and then there was a prize associated with it. So the first group of, of kids who went and filled out the entire scavenger hunt um, would win a pizza party for their group when they got back. And so now they were speaking our language. And, uh, and so our team, it was a group of my friends, and we're like, you know what? We are going to do this thing. And so they pulled the bus up in front of the museum, and they let us go, and they just unleashed us on the uh, Smithsonian Gallery of Art. And if you've been there, you know how kind of stuffy that place is. And so um, 55 ninth graders running through the, uh, the Gallery of Art was not a good thing. And we had paper, and we were running, trying to find everything. And we were writing down dates and names of artists and paintings. And we were just kind of whipping through that thing as fast as we possibly could. And then we, um, uh, we made it we got and we ran and we ran straight back to the bus. We got on the bus and we were the first ones back. And we were so excited 
because we had dominated the art appreciation field trip scavenger hunt. And so it was just such an awesome thing to know. And so feeling so victorious, we went home. And then the next day in class, our teacher says, okay, students, today we're going to discuss some of the art you saw yesterday. And so she had this little projector, and she began to show some slides of some of these different art that we saw. And I remember sitting in class going, we saw that yesterday? I I saw that one? I I felt like every piece of art she showed, I had no memory whatsoever of that piece of artwork that, that she was putting up there. And I realized at that moment that we missed the entire point of the assignment, Because we were so motivated with getting our bellies filled with pizza and having that moment of victory that we totally missed the whole point of the class, which was to appreciate the great art that we were seeing. And in a a sense, this is what this passage here in John chapter 6 is all about. Now, to put this passage in its context, you have to go back to the beginning of John chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And I'm sure many of you all are familiar with that passage. It was coming to the end of the day, and there were thousands of people there. And Jesus said to his disciples, go, you need to go feed this crowd. And uh, they were like, with what? And they said, you know, so they went out amongst the crowd, and they were able to come up with um, five loaves and two fish. And they were like, how on earth is this going to be enough? And then it says Jesus gave thanks, and he broke the bread, and he broke the fish, and miraculously, thousands of people were fed. I mean, the baskets just overflowed with food, and the people ate until they were satisfied. And what this did to the people that were there in that day, they looked at this man, they looked at Jesus, and they thought, wow, what if this man could be our king? If he could be our king, then we would know that we will never, ever be hungry again. And so, you know, the people went home, and uh, they probably were discussing this, and the Scripture doesn't necessarily say this, but they probably were um, saying, you know, we got to go find this Jesus, and we need to make him our king. In fact, we know and we learn in, um, uh, let's see what verse it is, Uh, uh, verse 15 of chapter 6, it says here that, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again uh, to the mountain by himself. And so Jesus decided he's getting out of there because he was worried this mob was going to come and want to make him their king. And that's exactly what they wanted to do. And so the next morning, the people set out to go find Jesus. And they went down to the water and they noticed the boats were gone, and Jesus wasn't there. And so it says literally that they began to run around the lake until they were able to come to where Jesus was. Um, the people were so incredibly motivated at this moment by getting their stomachs filled. They wanted a king who could satisfy them at their base level of their need. Um, And so that brings us really to our passage where we are this morning. And so I want us to take a look at four truths that we can gain uh, from this passage um, as we interact with Jesus and we interact with this very desperate, um, the desperate people of Israel. And the first truth is this. Um, We often seek God for the things we want from him rather 
than just simply seek him. Let me say that again. We often seek God for the things we want from him rather than just simply seek him. Um, Verse 25 says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly. Now, whenever you see those words grouped together like that, like truly, truly, it's a rhetorical device that was used, and it was used to add emphasis. And so when Jesus is saying to them, truly, truly, um, he's actually saying, listen, because what I'm about to tell you is really important, and you need to pay attention. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. He says, you are coming to me because you liked the fact that I fed you food and you're here because you want more. The people had become sort of these crass materialists. Um, They were hungry and they wanted to be fed again. Philippians 3.19 talks about um, uh, Paul in Philippians refers to the people and says that God had become their stomachs. And that's literally what's happening here. You know, a place that we often see this in our own lives can be in our prayer lists, um, our prayer requests. What kind of things do we bring before God in prayer? Oftentimes, our lists are simply the things we want God to give us, whether it be health or money or getting out of sticky situations, our job protection, job provision, even praying for our sports teams, go Ravens, and um, that God would change Um, other people or change my boss or all these things and we end up with this long grocery list of things that we want God to give us. It reminds me, especially this time of year, that um, my wife Kathy and I, we have four boys. Our youngest, Caleb, is here with us this morning. But over the years, our kids have learned the craft of writing Christmas lists. And um, they um, they got masterful at this. In fact, they learned to start beginning their list preparation around September, October. They learned to do research. They go into Amazon, all of the different things. Now, one of my sons in particular um, built this entire system where he basically would design a spreadsheet, and on the spreadsheet he, had, um, he would list the thing he wanted, the price, and then he had a rating system, whether it was a two, three, four stars, next to it, and this thing went multiple, oh, and then he would, like, coordinate it, say this was, like, on the 10 and under list, the 20 and under list, the 30 and under, you know, so he had the entire list set up into how you can do this, and it was about three pages, you know, single space stapled together, and he really felt like he was doing us a favor, and so he handed this list um, to my wife and I, and he presents this to us, and so you leave the list, and then at the bottom, it's written out in these big words, And it says this at the bottom. It said, stick to the list and smiles are guaranteed 100%. (laughs) And I know why he put that there. It's because he had learned that people like to kind of get creative and they would go off-roading on their Christmas ideas. And he was not so happy with some of the things he got. So he wanted to make sure that uh, he was getting the things he wanted. And isn't this sometimes what happens with us? We put our list before God, and we like it when God gives us the things we want, but when he doesn't, we get disillusioned. We wonder if God cares about us. We wonder if God loves us. It's all smiles when we're getting the things we want. 
One of the roles I have at Chapelgate is uh, I work in our counseling center, and um, uh, I work with a lot of people who are extremely disillusioned. As I meet with them and I talk to them, and oftentimes at their deepest level, they perceive that God had failed them because he didn't give them what they wanted. And so for the people in Israel on that day, instead of seeing in the bread that they received from Jesus as a sign that pointed them to him, all they saw was the bread itself, and they just wanted more. So that brings us to our second truth. And the second thing is this, is we work hard and we spend a lot of energy pursuing things we think will satisfy but never will. We work hard at pursuing things we think will satisfy but never will. Jesus said to them, and this is verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life. The people had been working hard to get to Jesus and get more of this food and the things that he could give them. And so when Jesus was speaking here, he was referring to the bread, but he was speaking on a much deeper level. In essence, what he's saying is, look, he says, you ate that bread, you went to bed, you woke up, and guess what? You were hungry again. But there's another bread. There's something that will feed you at a much deeper level. And isn't that what we often do ourselves? How much of our lives do we spend going after things that we just think are going to give us that ultimate satisfaction? Um, Our status, our money, our job, the home we live in, the neighborhood we live in, how many friends we have, our successes, our social life, our education, our recognition all gets wrapped up in that, and we think if I can only have that, then I will be satisfied. And so we fill our empty and broken lives with these things, and we long for a satisfaction, and it never seems to come. Um, One of the ways I I often see this in my own life so vividly is um, uh, I saw it a few years ago, and I, our we had a a 42-inch flat-screen TV, and it broke. And I said, okay, it's time for a new TV. And that meant I had to walk into Best Buy, which is not a good place for me because it's just filled with all the things that I want. And um, so, so, you know, 42-inch TV on the wall at Best Buy just doesn't look very big, right? So you think, we need to up the size of that TV. And so I was like, we need to go a little bigger here. And so I talked to my wife and kind of convinced her. I said, you know, I think I think we need to go at least 52 inches on our TV. And um, so, so, and we did. We got a 52-inch TV, and I took it home, and I saw it, and I put it on the thing. I was like, oh, this is great. My TV is so much bigger now. Life is going to be so much better. And then we went over and got invited over to a friend's house, and they had a 60-inch TV. And my TV just looked so small after that. I was like, why on earth did I get a 52-inch TV? It is so inadequate. And now I know that next time I get a TV, it has got to be better better than a 52-inch. And my life will just be so much better because I can watch TV on a bigger screen. And that cycle in life, whatever it is we think is going to satisfy, those things that are going to give us life in that moment, but they just leave us empty and they leave us broken. Um... And so Jesus says in verse 27, he says, do not work. And 
that phrase, if you look it up in the Greek, and you don't need to remember this, but the phrase is written in the present middle imperative with a negative participle. So you guys are blessed. You may go home now. All right. And here's what that means. It really means it's the idea of stopping something already in progress. So it's not just a warning since saying, I know you're really not doing this now, but in case you ever do, don't do it. It really has that idea of stop. Stop working for the things that won't satisfy you because he knows they're already doing it. And that's the words that Jesus has for us this morning. Stop. Stop working for what won't satisfy. And that takes us to our third truth this morning, and that is this. Our deepest longings are never met through our efforts and works to please God. So the people then asked Jesus. He said, so, or this is, here this, people say, so if we're not supposed to work for what won't satisfy, but for the food that brings eternal life, and, and the people want this eternal life, so if we're not supposed to be working for what won't satisfy for the food that brings eternal life, that's verse 27, and of course we want this eternal life, then verse 28, then what must we do to be doing the works of God? That was a central question, central religious question of first century Judaism. Uh, Mark chapter 10 is the parable of the rich, or the story of the rich young ruler. Um, And he basically came to Jesus with that very same question. It was their quest to say, what must I do to please God? What works must I do? Um, And it's a a performance reward idea. I perform good enough, and I'm going to get a reward from God. And it was ingrained in first century Judaism, just like it's ingrained in us. We want God's blessings, and so we ask ourselves very similar questions. We think, if I labor really hard in my devotional life, if I'm reading my Bible every day and I'm praying, then God is going to bless me, bless my work, bless my family. Um, If we labor really hard in our our missional life, in in serving God, then God is going to bless me. If I labor hard in my moral life and I just simply work hard at trying to be good, then God is going to bless me with more things. And so we have this formula which says, if I labor and work for God, it's going to equal blessings from God. And it's the formula we so often live by. But I'll tell you what, when I look at that formula, it just makes me tired. It makes me tired because when is enough? How much do I have to do? How hard do I have to work? How do I know I've gotten the ultimate blessing I can get from God, and I feel like I have to keep working and working and working? It's like the treadmill you can never get off of. And that leads us to our final point this morning, our final truth. And that is this. Our deepest longings and needs are received not in our efforts and our works, but they are received in a person, namely Jesus. In verse 28, the people asked what they should be doing to be doing the works of God. And Jesus' answer was in verse 29. And he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Notice, he didn't use the word, this is the works of God. He used a singular. They asked a plural word. What are the works of God? Jesus answered with a singular. He said, this is the work of God. What is that work? That you believe. And guess what? It is not your work. It's God's work. He says, this is the work of God 
that you believe in him whom he has sent. It is God's work in you to believe and to trust and to put faith in Jesus. Verse 34, for the bread of life is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is the whole point of this passage. He was the point of the feeding of the 5,000. The bread that those people received were not supposed to be there just to simply satisfy their bellies. But John Piper says that the bread, there was literally a beam of glory that went straight from their stomachs to the Christ, to the risen Christ, not the risen Christ, to the Jesus who created that bread for them. Their eyes were to be pointed on Jesus himself. And so what is he saying? He's saying, stop working, believe. Stop working, I'm here. Everything you need, it's not found in what you do, it's found in me. Ephesians 1.3 says, blessed, we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's where we receive all of our blessings. And that brings us to that big of the first I am statements in verse 35, where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so, you know, you might say, I, I want to believe that Jesus is enough. But so often, I, I just don't believe it. And so, my challenge to you this morning is when you feel that way, when you feel that Jesus isn't enough for you, ask yourself, what is enough? What is it you're seeking right now to give you that meaning? And then take that and confess it to God. Repent and turn to Christ, your bread, your feast. You see, this is the daily life of a believer. This is the daily life of a Christ follower. It is, it is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Repenting of those things I cling to that I substitute the real Jesus for. I repent of those things and turn to the, to the living bread, the bread of life, to Jesus himself. And this is the gospel. It is the good news that the bread of life is here and has been made available for us. And so our, our prayer should be the very response of the people in verse 34. When they said, sir, give us this bread Always.